Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Over the last two years, us as a family, we've tried to become plant people, right? We've uh, kind of, we love the way they look. We love the earthy vibes of the plants. The hard part is taking care of the plants, right? And so we started small. We went out to a, 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 a plant store one Saturday and picked up a plant. And I, I just said, hey, what's the least amount of maintenance and care I need for a plant? Because I'm just getting started, right? And they go, hey, here's a snake plant. And so we took the snake plant home, we put it in the living room, and we started taking care of this thing. And the nice thing about a snake plant, if you know anything about plants, and I don't claim to know anything about plants, but if you know anything is you don't have to water them much. They're pretty like self-sustainable, right? You just water them once and they're good. And so we took that thing home and that thing has been thriving for like the past two years. And so I was like, oh, I must be amazing at this thing. I found my new hobby, right? And so I went back to Home Depot and I decided, you know, I walk in and as soon as I walk in, they're having this sale on, on fiddle, fiddle leaf plants. Is that what it's called? Fiddle leaf plants. And they look awesome, right? I, I walked in and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is awesome. You were meant for me. I was meant for you. And I picked this thing up and I put it in the cart. I take it home and I find, I start Googling and I find out this is like one of the tougher ones. You know, this isn't like step two. This is more like step six in the process. But anyways, I take this thing home and I've been taking care of it every week. You know, you want to make sure that the sun is hitting it the right way or cleaning the leaves and all that sort of stuff. So I've been doing that for the past year. And it turns out this, this year, you know, this summer we went on vacation and those plants stayed home. And I didn't think to give it to anybody. I didn't think to, hey, this thing needs water. I just say, I'd probably be fine. You know, when I come back, I'll water it. And I do that. And we come back from vacation and I walk into the house and I see my plant with all these dead leaves around it. Just like 10 dead leaves on the, on the floor. And even though this thing had been thriving for about a year, right? All of a sudden, it just started losing leaves. And the reason was I didn't take care of it, right? I'd say it's pretty dead at this point. It still has a leaf. I'm going to try to revive it. I'm committed, but I don't know what's going to happen with this thing. I might just give, a, give it to Kelsey or something. She don't think it's going to survive. But I tell this story because there's, there's a lesson for us, right? See, even though this, this plant had been thriving for years, I stopped watering it and that just caused it to start losing leaves. And today we're going to kind of be talking about this idea that Jesus lays before us of forgiveness. And what, what I want us to see is that forgiveness for the life of the believer is like the water in the plant, right? Our flourishment as believers is directly correlated to the way in which we view God's forgiveness for us but also in the way we administer that forgiveness to others. And God has extended it to us to make it possible for us to forgive others. And church, God's desire for us as his people is that we would draw near to him in prayer, recognizing our own need for forgiveness, right? Our own need for his grace so that we can then extend it to others. So today, as you saw, we'll be exploring kind of verses 12 and 13 and kind of to further understand, right? What does it mean to model this prayer that Jesus gave us? What does it mean for us as the disciples asked, right? Lord, teach us to pray. What does it mean for us to incorporate that into our lives? And we'll see that forgiveness plays a crucial role in this. We'll see that as believers, forgiveness is a way of life, not just something we receive. And so we pick up in, in verse 12, 
And we see that uh, this passage kind of continues on this petition, right? We've seen Jesus kind of model this idea of prayer where he's focused on God and his kingdom, God's will, the things of heaven above. And now he's focused right on us. Last week we saw, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And notice that this next request doesn't start, forgive us. It starts, and. And so it's, it's interesting to me to see this idea where Jesus says, and, right? Because what he, I think he's trying to connect these two ideas and show us that, hey, forgiveness in the life of a believer is like bread to the body. He could have just started with a new thought or even prayed for something else at this time. But he, he decides to connect these thoughts, right? And I think Jesus is trying to show us that forgiveness in our lives isn't optional, but something that we must practice regularly. See, forgiveness kind of sits at the center of how we relate to God, but also at the center of how we relate to others, right? And there are a couple of kind of feelings or experience that often amplify our lack of understanding of what God's forgiveness means for our lives and for the lives of others. And the first one is guilt. See, when we experience guilt, what we're simply expressing is our deeper need for God's forgiveness. The Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, There is therefore no more condemnation. That means that when we become Christians and if we are walking in guilt and if we're walking in shame rather than in God's forgiveness, we are failing to live as those who have been chosen by God, those who have been called to be children of God. And that doesn't mean that we won't experience guilt or shame. These are natural experiences for us as humans. But what it does mean is that when I experience these feelings of shame and guilt, I can bring them to my father, right? I can lay him at his feet saying, God, I need grace today because we continue to sin, right? And so we can bring those feelings before our father. And and the second kind of idea or the, the feeling that we often experience is bitterness, right? When something sounds bad or someone says something we don't like, right? It's easy to just jump to bitterness, And it's something we're probably all familiar, right, with. We maybe got passed on a job at work, a promotion that we were hoping for. Maybe somebody said something, something happened that was unfortunate. And now we're in a messy situation, right? And you feel those feelings of bitterness creeping up. And what I want us to understand as you think about bitterness in our lives is that bitterness is simply showing us our own need to extend forgiveness to others. Although it can be something that could rot our souls if we let it live. At the beginning, it's simply an invitation for me to go and extend forgiveness to others. So we can use that feeling that could be destructive in our lives to actually lean in, right? And bring those things before God. And what's interesting about bitterness is that when you're bitter, it's like holding a knife, right? like holding a knife and gripping it as hard as you can, hoping the other person gets hurt. But all the time, you're just getting hurt yourself because bitterness only hurts you. So I want us to kind of think through these ideas and this passage is going to help us understand what it means to appropriately, appropriately receive God's forgiveness, but also give that forgiveness 
to others. It's the medicine to the soul that'll keep us from wallowing, right? in this guilt and this shame and bitterness and will help us have a way forward. And then this passage, um, this passage can be a little confusing, right? Because it starts out saying, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And so you might be wondering, hey, wait, God, has God not already forgiven me? Right? How, do I need to forgive other people in order to make sure that God can forgive me? Is God only going to forgive me as good as I can forgive other people? And that's not the point, right? What we really need to understand about this verse is that for God's forgiveness towards us isn't dependent on how well we can forgive others. Meaning God's forgiveness towards his children isn't dependent on how well you're able to perform these tasks. And one of the things that confirms that in, in this passage as we read it, right, is the beginning of the prayer. The beginning of the prayer starts saying, our Father in heaven. See, when we come before Jesus asking for forgiveness, we're not coming before God asking us, asking him to give us a good standing before him from a judicial standpoint, right? We're coming before God asking for forgiveness as a child would his father. As a child would his father when his father knows he messed up already, right? And so we come before God saying, hey, I'm sorry. And that I'm sorry that ask for forgiveness isn't necessarily saying, hey, God, I want you to save me. I want you to put me in good standing. But it's actually an invitation to intimacy with God. See, his forgiveness for us and what we practice even on a weekly basis, right? When we do a confession of our sins during the liturgy is actually an invitation for us to fellowship with him. See, through Christ, our, our relationship with God has already been established. If we've trusted in him, if we placed our faith in him, our faith has been secured. But when we come before him, we can request for intimate fellowship with him. We're coming recognizing we're in desperate need, right? Desperate need of his grace and desperate need for his forgiveness. And in the same kind of manner, church, we're, we as Christians are called to forgive others, right? But at times, this idea of forgiveness can be a little confusing. We don't know what it means or how do we do it or when is it appropriate or how do I approach it, right? And so I want us to explore kind of what does it mean for us to lean into, into God's forgiveness and extend that um, to others. And I'll, I'll for the, be the first one to say, right, forgiveness is hard. It's hard for a reason, right? Forgiveness isn't fun. You're not going to wake up all of a sudden and be like, man, I want to forgive everybody today, you know? As soon as somebody cuts you off in the car, you're like, what, the, you know, what are you doing? You don't feel like forgiving. It's not a natural tendency that we have as humans, right? But we're called to do that. And so I want to kind of help us understand what that forgiveness means and how do we actually apply it in our lives? Because the reality is with forgiveness, there's a debt, right? And that debt needs to be paid by someone. And the good news for us as Christians is we've been paid that debt right? But how, what, how does it, what does it look like for me to actually extend that to others? And we see Jesus kind of illustrate this idea of forgiveness, right? And his parable uh, to the unmerciful servant. We're told in Matthew 18, 
um, that there's this servant who kind of owed this big debt to this king. And the king actually calls the servant and he says, hey, you know what? Let's sell everything this man has. Let's sell everything he has and let's cover the debt. And so he calls the man into his quarters. And this is what he says in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees, right? The king is saying, hey, you owe me some money. It says the servant fell on his knees before him. He says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Service master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let it go. That's forgiveness, right? And what's interesting about this whole, this whole um, parable is that if you keep reading down the passage, um, you actually find out that this guy leaves the quarters, right? Forgiven. I mean, super happy. But he happens to run into another one of his fellow servants. And this guy owed, owed him a coin, right? And as soon as this guy, he grabs him by the neck. He goes, where's my coin, right? And it's so, so crazy to us just reading the story, right? Because we say, how could he walk out of the quarters and immediately go ask this guy for his coin and start choking him? But what's interesting is we do the same, right? We've been forgiven all this stuff, yet when someone offends us, we choose to choke them. We choose to hold on to it. The parable finishes telling us that the, that the servant was actually thrown into prison and that in prison he was tortured. And so Jesus kind of warns us in this parable, right? That the way in which we treat others is going to be informed by the view of our own forgiveness. And if we choose to forgive people in that way, then we might be treated the same way, right? It's a warning to us. And Jesus is hoping as he shared this model of prayer with his disciples, that we would recognize our dependence on God's forgiveness and that from that forgiveness, right? Recognizing that we are nothing, that he's forgiven every sin that we've ever committed, every sin we will commit, that from there we can go and extend that to others. But what is forgiveness, right? We talk about forgiveness all the time. We talk about God's forgiveness to us, how we should forgive others. But what is it? What does it mean? And I love this definition by Bob Thune. And we've actually gone through this. You've all seen this. If you remember, we've gone through this in the gospel-centered life, right? But he says this, forgiveness is costly. It means canceling the debt when we feel we have every right to demand payment. It means absorbing the pain, hurt, shame, and grief of someone's sin against us. That's what forgiveness is. And I love this definition that he he gives us because it shows how hard it is, right? It shows the things involved in forgiveness. There's pain, there's hurt, there's shame, there's grief, and it's complex. Forgiveness is easy when we're not hurt, when it was just a mild offense. But what about when someone betrays trust and things get a little more complicated? I, 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 kind of understanding this um, idea of forgiveness, um, I, I thought about this uh, yesterday. I was kind of prepping and thought about, hey, what are, what are maybe situations in my life where I've experienced this, Right. And I remember going to, to dinner one night with Tiffany and we were, 
um, it was our 30 year anniversary. We go to this nice restaurant, right? Like we're going to have fun. We're going to be out here. We're going to eat all the stuff. So we order a big round of appetizers. We order the whole thing. I know how much things cost. I'm, I can do the math in my head, right? But we order it anyways. I say, you know what? It's our anniversary. It's been three years, three long years. We're going to have fun, right? And so we order the appetizers, we order the first course, we order the second course, a salad, I didn't eat it, and then we order the meal. And at the end, we get another round of drinks, and we're having a good time, right? And I know, okay, it's the end, it's time to pay. And when I ask for the check, the waiter simply says, you're good to go. And I go, wait, what? What do you mean I'm good to go? I just ordered all of this food. And he, and he tells me, yes, somebody called and paid for this already. And we, were, we both looked at each other, and I was thinking, like, I should have gotten more food, right? I should have gotten a cake to go. <laughs> but that's what forgiveness is, right? It's when I don't deserve it. It's out of nowhere. It's when I know everything I've done, everything I've ordered, and somebody just says, hey, I got it. That's that beautiful picture of forgiveness. And why does it matter, right? Why, do, why does it matter for us to forgive? Why should we even bother to forgive? Why shouldn't we just live our lives holding on to things? Why should we forgive? And look with me what Ephesians says. We have commands from our Lord that tell us what we should do. It says, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over and over over again, right? In scripture, we see that we are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. And church, how has the Lord forgiven, right? That's the question. How has he forgiven us? If you read Psalm 103, it says that as far as the east is from the west, so have I removed all of your transgressions from you. Amen? God has removed it all. So we can go ahead and forgive just like he has. And I want want us to understand this idea of forgiveness in that forgiveness isn't just turning a blind eye. Right? Forgiveness isn't just saying, oh, somebody did something to me. I'm just going to forget about it. I'll be cool, right? That's not the path we should follow as Christians because at the end of the day, that path only leads to bitterness. And so how do we deal with it? How do we understand it? And the first thing I I want us to kind of understand is that forgiveness doesn't necessarily eliminate consequences. There are consequences to our sin. There are consequences to people's sin. And one of the consequences that usually comes from sin is a lack of trust. There's a difference between us forgiving someone and then restoring trust with somebody. And those are things we have to understand. And one of of the examples I like to use to kind of help us frame this idea between restoring trust with somebody and actually forgiving someone is this. If I were to entrust you with Lila, my baby, Cute little Lila. And all of a sudden, I say, hey, I'm going to go to dinner with Tiffany. Why don't you watch her? Hey, you can take her to the park. She loves a swing. You can go wherever. Right? And you decide to put Lila in the car, and you're drunk. 
What do you think is going to happen, right? The question becomes, should I forgive you? And the answer is yes, I should forgive you. Now, the other question is, should I let Lila be babysat by you again? And I think godly wisdom tells me I probably shouldn't, right? See, building trust when a relationship has been broken or a relationship has been betrayed can take time. In fact, that's a work that needs to be done by both parties most of the time. And both parties need to be willing to do the work. Now, this doesn't mean we can't forgive. We should forgive, right? But it might just mean our relationship might look different. One of the other things forgiveness does is it doesn't eliminate authority structures, right? Kind of following this same example, if I um, gave if I, if someone was driving drunk, right, there are consequences because there are authority structures in place that would say it's not a good idea to drive drunk. And so those authority structures are in place to keep us safe. And this applies to our church as well, right? We humbly submit. We humbly decide, hey, we're going to be in this group of people and we're going to submit to the authority that God has laid out in scripture through his local church. And that should be followed, right? If I sin, there should be a pattern of calling me to sin, right? Calling me out. There should be a pattern of restoring people over to sin. So forgiveness doesn't necessarily eliminate all the authority structures that are in place. And the the same idea applies, right? Forgiveness doesn't completely eliminate judgment. And what I mean by that is that there's certain judgment that has to happen when people sin. We see this over and over again, right? In a, in a courtroom where there's a judge, his job is to discern, right? What's going on to discern the situation and then be able to give his recommendation as a judge to be judgmental, right? Well, what this doesn't mean for us as Christian is that we should go and start judging people based on their past, right? Because we know we're all in deep need of grace, We don't need to go and assume the worst. We don't need to go and start um, just assuming that something's going to happen or being critical of that person or negative. If they've repented, we can lean into the forgiveness that God has given. Now, you may be wondering kind of how does it how does it work, right? I understand what forgiveness is. I understand kind of the consequences of sin and how forgiveness plays into that, right? But what does it look like? What does it look like for me to actually extend forgiveness to others? How do we forgive? And the first thing I want to say about forgiveness, right, as we think through people who may have hurt you or pain that you may be experiencing in your life right now, right, is that when we choose to forgive, we refuse to hurt the other person. This is hard, right? Because when someone hurts us, or causes us any type of pain in our own life, our first reaction is, I want them to know, right? I want them to experience a little bit of what I went through. And I'm going to retaliate. And forgiveness says the opposite of that. When we forgive, we're committing to seeking the good of the other person, no matter what. Therefore, we can pray We can bring them before God. We point them in the right direction, right? 
and we decide not to hurt the other person. Another step to kind of understand have I forgiven or not is am I gossiping? Do I go around telling everyone how bad this person is, this person that hurt me? And I, and I do want to caveat that, right? There is a place for us to talk about our pain. There's a place for us to talk about our hurt. If someone's gone, hurt you in some way, talk to people, right? You don't have to just bottle it all up. But it does mean that we commit to speaking in a way that's respectable. And lastly, we refuse to generate um, bitterness in our heart. We choose to let go of that. When we choose to forgive in our heart, what we're saying is, I'll no longer hold it over your head. I'll no longer keep replaying the stuff that happened in my head. Right? It's a natural tendency when something bad happens to say, I'm going to just keep dwelling on that. I'm just keep going to keep thinking about it. I replay it over and over again. Wait, what happened? How did it happen? Let me think about it again. And when we forgive, it's basically saying, you know what? I know what happened. I know what happened, but I'm going to choose not to be bitter in my heart. Letting God deal with it. And so I want to encourage this church as we kind of think through forgiveness, right? Maybe take some time this week. Take some time to reflect. Maybe think, hey, what are some ways in which I've been hurt? What are some ways in which I've have received pain in my life from somebody else? And what do I need to do with it? Right? And I encourage you to bring it before God and lay it at his feet. Because he knows he is a God of comfort, right? He's a God of comfort that can comfort our souls even when we're experiencing negative effects from sin. To remain unforgiving is ultimately to be unaware of your own sinfulness, right? To remain unforgiving is to say, I don't need forgiveness. So that's why over and over again, we see in scripture that we're called to forgive others. And lastly, I I, want to think through this idea in verse 13, right? Jesus kind of shifts gears here to talk a little bit more about protection. He's kind of talked through our food that we need, right? He's talked through the pardon we need, forgiveness we need, and now he's talking about protection. So you see in the last verse, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this request may, may seem a little simple, but the question we have to ask here is, what is temptation? When he talks about temptation, what is he talking about? See, because oftentimes we associate with temp- temptation with one single thing, right? It's something that's tempting that's going to cause me to sin. And that, although that is true, right? Temptation can present itself in a couple of different ways. And the first one is actually temptations that can show up in a form of trial or testing. And this kind of temptation isn't sinful in itself, right? But the suffering that it often produces can lead us to doubt God. They can lead us to give up our faith, compromising, right, for the things of this world. And this is where Jesus, James encourages us, right? In the book of James, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet different trials of various kinds. He's encouraging us to approach these trials and temptations in our lives with joy, knowing that these tests and trials lead to our sanctification. Amen? And secondly, temptations can appear 
in a couple of different ways, right? And one of them's external, enticing us to sin. And I think we see a perfect example of this in when Jesus is out in the wilderness, right? Satan comes before Jesus to tempt him, promising him the kingdoms of this earth and giving them an easy way out. We got to watch for those temptations that may come from outside, right? Jesus had no sinful nature. He had no intention to sin, yet he was tempted by the devil. And lastly, the kind Jesus wouldn't experience, but we do, right? Is internal temptations. And those are temptations that come from the heart. And we know the heart is deceitful over and over again. We see that in scripture. And we constantly need to um, be looking at our hearts to understand what, it, what am I tempted by? How do I positively respond to that? Keeping Jesus in his throne. So when, when we read, right, this, this verse, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what we're talking about. And Jesus is teaching us to, to ask in prayer, right? That we would be delivered from these temptations. That we would be not fall into the traps of Satan during these temptations. That we would be delivered from both that temptation that's external and internal that are constantly trying to take us down, right? that are trying to convince us that there's something out there that's better than Jesus. And he tells us exactly where they're coming from, right? He says it at the end of the verse. He says, but deliver us from evil. Or in other words, deliver us from the evil one, right? Deliver us from Satan himself. He's ultimately teaching us that this enticement to sin comes from Satan. And therefore, we should ask God to deliver us from all the schemes so that we can do the things that he has commanded in scripture. And it's interesting to me how, how this kind of cry for protection, right, is linked to this idea of forgiveness. Because oftentimes, this is the point in our lives when the devil speaks loudest, right? When we're hurt, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves reminding us of how many reasons I have not to forgive. Or maybe we are reminding ourselves of all the responsibility this other person has and how I have to do nothing about it, right? And Satan uses this in our lives when we're at our lowest to kind of entice us, right? And lead us in the path of bitterness. What Jesus is trying to remind us here is that we shouldn't be swayed by any way that Satan might try to feed our mind. That we have been given everything we need to forgive, right? And if you're still wrestling with this church, if you're still trying to understand, listen, I, I get forgiveness. I want to do it. Maybe I practically know how to do it. I understand the importance, but I'm just not there. I'm just not to the point where I could actually forgive. I would encourage you to think through your own understanding of forgiveness. Think through your own understanding and need for forgiveness from God. You don't have to go at it alone, right? We've been given a community where we can bear each other's burdens. And if you find yourself in a place where you're like, hey, I'm just not ready, maybe share it with a friend. Maybe sit down, get a cup of coffee and say, hey, I want to share with you some of the ways in which I'm hurt. And I need your help, right? To process through this. I need your help 
to seek forgiveness in my own life and what that might look like. Here's the deal, church. At the end of the day, whether you're there or not, as Christians, we've, we've been called to forgive, right? And we've been forgiven, therefore we can forgive others. We can draw near to God in prayer because his desire for us is that we would live lives of total surrender to him and that through that, as we grow in our understanding of his forgiveness, that we would extend it to others. Amen? Church, we are made capable of forgiving others because God has forgiven us first. We can forgive because he forgave us first. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.